Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Have your Bibles, 1 Timothy chapter number 6, where we've started the last two Sundays. 1 Timothy chapter number 6. And uh, beginning in verse number 17, I've mentioned this last two weeks. Uh, Timothy is what we call a pastoral epistle. This is Paul, the seasoned missionary evangelist, in, in older, uh, up in age maybe somewhat, definitely older than Timothy, writing to what we might call his mentor, I'm sorry, uh, who he was a mentor to, his mentee, or, or a pupil, or a student. And you'll often hear people talk about, uh, in Christian circles, Paul and Timothy, speaking of, that's my Paul, that's somebody that really trained me and showed me, and I have a Timothy, one that I'm investing in, and I'm training and teaching. And, and Paul is writing to Timothy, the pastor, telling him some things that he needed to know for himself. But then in this verse, uh, verse number 17, where we've been the last two weeks, he tells Timothy, as a pastor, you need to make sure that you're teaching some things to those in your ministry, those that you have influence over, Pastor Timothy. Verse number 17, let's read it aloud together. First Timothy chapter number 6, verse number 17, ready? Begin. Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. So we've taken our—in this message, I think it'll be seven weeks, and it's answering—each week is answering a question. In the first week, it was, are you rich? And for those that were here, talk to me, are you rich? Yes or no? We are rich in this world. And we talked about that because if we don't get that settled, this passage doesn't mean anything to us. This passage doesn't apply to us. Charge them that are rich in this world. That's you and that's me. And, and then he says the second last week was, was, who owns that? We see there at the end of, of verse 17, he says that they be not high-minded. It's one of the dangers of material wealth, nor trust in uncertain riches, another danger, misplaced trust. We saw that in week one. But in the living God, notice this. Who, what's that verb there, church? Who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Whatever we have is a gift from God. It's not ours, it's His. He's entrusted it to our care. And we saw last week that we are stewards. A steward is someone that manages somebody else's property or possessions. If you have a nanny or a babysitter, they are a steward of your child. You're, trust, you're entrusting some of your most valuable uh, possessions, and that's the wrong wording, but you understand what I'm saying, to their care. They, 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 those are not their children, but you are entrusting them to their care. If you, if you're a, you own an investment property or something of that nature, you might have a, or, or you rent, there's a landlord, whatever it might be, a property management. Well, it's not theirs but they are managing that property for the person that owns it. And we saw last week who owns that. We have to answer the ownership question. We saw last week when we answer the ownership question correctly, it gets the love issue right, the trust issue, and the giving issue. If you missed last week's message, you can find it on our church Facebook page, our podcast, our website, a few different avenues there where you can find all of those archived. Usually by Monday evening, the Sunday messages are archived from the day before. I want us to read now the next verse. We haven't looked really much at this the first two weeks. Verse number 18. 
Let's read verse 18. So charge them that are rich in this world, these things. And then he says, so they've got to change their thinking, but then they also need to change their behavior. Look at verse 18. Let's read that. Ready? Begin. That they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. What does Paul tell Timothy? Timothy, you need to challenge people to do more with what they've been given that they do good, that they're rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Well, what, is that? what do those phrases there mean? He's telling them, be, learn to be good at giving, to be ready to distribute as somebody that's liberal with what God has given, good at imparting, if you study that word out. Willing to communicate is inclined to impart. They're free in giving. It's not, man, you've got you've to pry it from my cold, dead fingers. No, I'm willing to communicate. I'm excited. Not only am I, am I ready to distribute, I'm, I'm willing, I'm excited about giving and, and, and sharing what God has shared with me. That can be the truth of the gospel. We ought to be rich in good works. We've been given the riches of the gospel. We should be ready to distribute, willing to communicate, excited to share. We all, and, and this, this message and even this slide, it has a lot to do with money, but we almost always in our Western mindset, when we're thinking of blessings or giving, we almost always go directly to money. We have, we have some things that are far more valuable than money. If we're saved, we have the truth of the gospel in our lives. Charge them that are rich in this world, and may I say, charge them that are rich in the world to come, we're saved that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. And this morning's message from this verse, and we're going to turn to two other places this morning, so keep your Bibles handy there. This morning's question is this, are you generous? What does Paul tell Timothy? He says, Timothy, charge those that have been blessed with things to be generous with that which they've been blessed with. Charge them that they're rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. They they should be generous. God's people should be generous people. Why? Because they've received so much that they don't deserve. What is grace? It is unmerited favor. When you've received that which you don't deserve, this isn't mine anyways. I didn't deserve it. Let me share what I have with somebody else. Are you generous? This is the question we answer this morning. The problem is that that's kind of uh, an ambiguous question, isn't it? To whose standards? Are there standards? Well, everyone, we, we all get to define that. The problem is that everybody can have a de- different definition of generous. Kind of like two weeks ago when we asked at the beginning, are you rich? We all, rich is a sliding scale based on what you have. Rich is almost always a little bit more. And, and, and rich can be kind of, we have to define that. And generous, we kind of have to define that. Rich is the other guy. I'm not rich. Generous? Definitely me. Right? None of us are rich, but we're all generous, right? And, and it's, it's, it's this, it's kind of hard to, to know, well, I, I gave $2 to the March of Dimes when I checked out at Walmart. I'm a pretty generous guy. Nobody thinks they're rich. Everybody, I shouldn't say nobody, but you know what I mean. Everybody thinks they're generous. It's kind of like the, the class grade in PE. If you have a body, it's a passing grade. In the same way, we drop a few bucks in the offering plate at church, give directions to a stranger, leave change as a, our change as a tip for the Starbucks barista. I'm generous. The definition of generosity can be somewhat open to interpretation. While that's true, I do think there are three tangible uh, characteristics 
or metrics, if you will, from Scripture that can answer this question for us. Are you generous? I don't think it's an ambiguous thing. I think from the teachings of Scripture, we're going to see this morning sort of a generosity acid test. By these three factors, we're going to be able to line up our lives and say, am I generous as I should be based on the challenge from God's Word? So, are you ready for your generosity acid test this morning? If you were to take the Bible's teachings on generosity, you would find a lot of information and a lot of— there's Miss Anna. Welcome to church, Miss Anna. We talked about you a few minutes ago. You slid. Oh, she, were you playing piano for the Spanish ministry? She does come to church. All right. Well, we're glad you're here. She was playing piano for the Spanish ministry, and we gossiped all about you. She just walked in back there. You'll find a lot of examples of generosity, but you'll see in the Bible, I believe, three major themes that rise to the top in our giving. And I want you to ask yourself, how am I doing in these three areas with what God has given me to answer this question, are you generous? Number one, how do we know if we're generous? Number one, is our giving uh, priority versus spontaneous? And I'll explain what I mean by that. Priority versus spontaneous generosity. Making generosity in our lives a priority or just spontaneous? May I stop and say this? True generosity and sustained generosity will not happen in your life unless you make it a priority. If you wait until you think, well, when I get out of this season, when I get the student loan debts paid off, when I get the kids' braces paid for, when I do this, when I do that, when I, whatever it might be, then I'll be generous. There is always going to be something. There's always going to be something to save for. There's always going to be something to buy. There's always going to be something there. You and I must make our giving, our generosity, a priority, not just when it feels good, when it feels like, well, I got a little unexpected money. I got some extra money I wasn't expecting. Uh, the, the, Solomon, who knew something about managing his finances, the richest man in the world at that time, said this to his son in Proverbs chapter number 3, verses 9 and 10. He said this, he said, honor the Lord with thy thy substance, honor the Lord with thy substance, and listen to this word, and with the first fruits. I think we have that verse on a slide back there. Honor the Lord with thy substance, and with the, see that word there? First fruits of all thine, what church? By the way, there's a promise that comes with it. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. There are blessings that come with generosity, but here's what Solomon taught. He taught the, the principle of the first fruits. You know, that's all through Scripture. God wants, and may I just suggest, God deserves our first and our best. God doesn't want the leftovers of your life. God wants and deserves the first—you look all through the Old Testament, when there was a, a, a sacrifice to be made to God, they wanted to—they needed to sacrifice an animal. What type of animal was it? It was a lamb. And which lamb was it? It was the firstborn lamb. And what kind of firstborn lamb? The lamb without blemish. It was—it was the—it was the—I was—what's the, 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 was, what, a lamb? What's the person that raises lambs? The farmer? Is that a farmer? Shepherd, shepherd guides them. Who raises them? I don't know. This is what happens when you live in Orange County and the Bay Area your whole life. You don't know anything about farming. Whatever that's called, it was the farmer. I don't know if it's a farmer. Rancher. Okay, I'll go with that. It was the rancher's first and best. God was saying, I don't want your leftovers. 
I want your first and best. We gather on the first day of the week on Sunday for a couple of reasons. One is to celebrate the resurrection of Christ, right? It's the day that he rose from the dead. But I love the fact that for me, it's a symbolic thing. I'm giving God, Sunday belongs to God, and I'm giving God the first day of my week. I, I, God wants and deserves the priority. You see that, that principle of the first fruits all through Scripture. And, and you say, well, I, I don't know that I have enough money, no matter how rich or poor you feel right now, now is the time to be generous. Well, I'll be generous when I get through this season of life, will you? I heard a story of two friends. Randy asked his friend John, he said, he said, John, if you inherited a million dollars, would you give 10% of it away? He said, if I inherited a million dollars, I'd give 10% of it away. He said, Randy said, well, what if you had $100,000, would you give 10% of that away? He said, absolutely, I'd give 10% of that away if I got an unexpected $100,000. Randy asked John once more, if you had $100, would you give 10% of it away? John looked at him with pain on his face and said, come on, Randy, that's not fair. You know I have $100. And when the rubber meets the road, it's a little tougher when we, well, oh, if I had that, when I get to there, then I'll be generous. When I get to that point in my life, then I'll start really making up. But right now the focus is this, and that's always a moving target. What are we doing? You say, well, I don't have much. What are you doing with what God has given you right now? If you're not content with what you have right now, you're not going to be content with all of that later. If you're not generous with what you have right now, you're not going to be uh, generous probably unless God does a work in your heart later. Be generous now. Teach your children generosity early. I I know what some of you are thinking. If you only knew the details of my financial situation, you would not advise me to be generous. You would advise me to get out of debt, to pay off the student loans, to, to get the kids braces, to save all that I can. I might advise you to do all of those things, but not at the expense of prioritizing generosity. As a believer, no matter where we're at in life, we ought to prioritize generosity. And that's not always, we're going to see it on the next point, that's not always large sums of money. It's, it's a function of the heart. May I say this, generosity isn't dependent upon your finances, it's dependent upon your heart. We want everyone else, that, let, let's let those guys be generous. That's, it's, a, it's a wrong thinking that we have even in our political system. Let's, let's well, the, the, the rich people ought to pay for everything. No, we all ought to be generous. Well, don't tax any of these, and let's just tax them into oblivion. Where do jobs come from? They come from those that are, that are uber wealthy, that we're all, and that, this class warfare idea, and this idea that let some other class of people be generous. I don't need to be generous. Let them pay for everything. That's not a scriptural mindset. No matter, and we're going to see it here in a minute. We're going to turn, and I'm going to show you Jesus' own words. No matter what you have, what I have, we ought to learn to be generous with that. A child gets his first a minimum wage job. Parents, you ought to help encourage generosity with that little amount of money. You say, well, I can't afford to give. Here's the thing. Understanding the principle of the first fruits changes all of that. If, if we understand that God is getting our first and our best, let's say I make $1,000 this week, and I have, have $1,000. Guess what? If I understand the principle of the first fruits, I can always afford to give. Because it's the first money that's going to wherever I'm giving, to God, to his work, to give. Here, I might not be able to afford my second car. I might not be able to afford a cell phone. I might not be able to afford to go out to eat at that restaurant. I might not be able to afford a vacation. There might be some things I can't afford, but if we understand the principle of priority in generosity, I can always afford to be generous. 
It's the first fruits, and it's a, it's a change in our thinking. What we often do is, let me do everything for myself, and I'll see what's left over at the end, and then maybe I'll throw a bone to somebody or a bone to God. God doesn't want a bone, and God doesn't want you to share a bone with somebody else. God wants us to honor Him with our substance and with the first fruits of all our increase. When you make giving a priority, something happens inside of you. We were in community groups on Wednesday night, and I'm enjoying our community groups and talking about different things with different groups of people and studying Scripture with a small group. If you're not in one of those, I'd encourage you to join us on Wednesday nights at 6.30. But, but somebody said this Wednesday in the group I was in, they talked about the fact that even when you don't feel like you can afford to, the, the exercise of sacrificing and giving, it does something to your heart. And, and even when you find it financially challenged to do so, it's like when you give when you don't think you can, it's like you loosen your grip on a value system that says money is the key to life, to happiness, and to safety. When you give when you don't think you can, it's like you say, I know that's not the key, and, and I'm going to trust in him who richly provides, not in the stuff he richly provided. When you prioritize generosity, you reject the way of thinking that, that begins to say that, that I need money to be happy, and you begin to be able to tangibly say, my hope is not in riches, but in Him who richly provides. I would suggest, for me at least, what I have found is that the easiest way to do this is to make the first amount that you give be, be what you give. Generosity, whether it's to the Lord's work or to people, whatever that might be, to eternally impactful causes. If you wait until the end of the month, guess what? It's probably not going to happen. You ever been there? You have more month than you have paycheck? Just about every month, some of us, right? We feel that way. There's more month than there is paycheck. That's why we have to prioritize our generosity, not just spontaneous. I love our online giving system. For years now, my wife and I, our general, our missions, our weekly stewardship commitments all come out automatically. And the way I set it, you can set it up to come out anytime you want. I set mine to come out at 12.01 a.m. on Sunday morning. And every Sunday when I wake up and I check my email, the first emails I see is, and the first dollars that our family spends every week at 12.01 a.m. on Sunday morning is to the work of God at Liberty. I set it up on those days. It's, it, and I, you can give anytime you want. I don't care when you give. That's between you and the Lord. For me, it's a symbolic thing of, God, I want to give you the first of my week, and I want to give you the first of our finances this week. I want to honor you in those ways. I'm not against, by the way, spontaneous generosity. I'm not against dropping a meal off or getting groceries or helping a, a struggling parent, single parent or, or helping to pay for somebody's private education or whatever it might be, uh, sending money to missions, giving money to volunteer firefighters or dropping some coins in the Salvation Army bucket when you weren't thinking about it at Christmas time. I'm not against spontaneous generosity, the, the, most, uh, the best spontaneous generosity of all. I'm not against buying some Girl Scout cookies for yourself and your pastor. And supporting different organizations. I'm not against those things. There's nothing wrong with and spontaneous. In fact, if you want Girl Scout cookies, I can make a little plug. Where's Sophia? Is she in here? Sophia? Right there. If you need Girl Scout cookies, see Sophia Rosario this morning. She's got four boxes for me. I've got a Venmo J, I think. And, uh, and uh, I, I ordered, I ordered some peanut butter patties. Those are the best ones, right? The peanut butter patties. And I got some Thin Mints, I think. I think we ordered some Thin Mints. I'm about to sue them for false advertising. I saw a meme that showed the box of Thin Mints, and it said this. How many of these boxes do I have to eat before I start seeing results? They have nothing to do with getting thin. I'm not against spontaneous generosity, 
but priority giving. What does Matthew chapter number six say? Lay up for yourselves treasures. And don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Seek ye, seek ye what church? Seek ye, seek ye, seek ye the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. By the way, that's a passage talking about our stuff. I know it gets a little uncomfortable for some people to be hitting on money. Uh, that, that's my money, by the way. That's why it gets uncomfortable because we don't understand whose it really is. But the Bible's, that's a, that's a financial passage. It's also a spiritual passage, but he says, don't worry about all this stuff. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, priority versus spontaneous. If the only giving you ever do is when you watch some commercial and you get your heartstrings pulled once a year and you send $50 off to some other foreign country, if it's only spontaneous generosity, we're probably not as generous as we should be. Priority, we see that in scripture versus spontaneous. Number two, number two, percentage versus some. Percentage, are you generous? Percentage, a way to measure this is percentage versus some. If you really want to guard yourself against the side effects of wealth that we saw in week one, don't measure your generosity in terms of dollars. Measure it in terms of percentages. Here's what I mean. If, if a college student working a part-time minimum wage job were to give away $1,000 today, that may go a long way to changing his heart and to guarding his heart against covetousness. Against, against trusting in his money, against the unhealthy side effects of wealth. But if Bill Gates were to give away $1,000 today, do you think that would do much to change anything in his life? That would have no impact in his life. Percentage versus some. I've heard pastors say before, it's not equal gifts, it's equal sacrifice. In, in our lives, I believe a great way to see how generous we really are is to measure percentage, not some. That's, by the way, it's not just my idea, it's what Jesus did. Turn with me, if you will, Mark in chapter number 12. Go back to the gospel of Mark. Mark in chapter number 12, verse number 41. Mark 12 and verse number 41. Mark 12, verse number 41, and Jesus sat over against the treasury. He's there where people would come to bring the money, and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in, what did they cast in, church? They cast in what? That's my kind of offering. Many that were rich cast in much. That's, that's a pastor's dream. So I'm pretty sure Jesus is going to say, and they all lived happily ever after. That was beautiful. People gave big gifts. Many that were rich cast in much. Look at verse 42. And there came a certain poor widow. Reminder that generosity is not based on our finances, but on our heart. A certain poor widow. And in that society, widows had no, nothing, literally nothing, and no real chance to get anything. And she threw in two mites. We're talking about a couple cents, a few pennies, maybe a dime which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples, and saith unto them, look at this, verily I say unto you that this 
poor widow has cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. He's there with his disciples, and people are walking, and this is where sometimes the Pharisees would come, and they would make a big show of their giving. It's why Jesus said about the fact that if you make a big show about how much you give, you have your reward. You ought not make a, and this is where they would do this. They would walk, and maybe they had a clear briefcase. I don't know what it was with all the, all the money in there, and, and they, they made some big show. Did you see how much I'm putting in here? And Jesus said, do it for me. Don't do it for yourself. And, and they all came, and many, the Bible says, that were rich cast in much. And here comes this poor little widow lady. She's got, she's got literally two pennies to rub together. And you know what she does? Instead of rubbing them together, she throws them both in. And you know what Jesus said? Disciples, come here. Hey, guys, 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 I got to show you. This, that is sacrifice. That is generosity. She did more. I see that as a greater act of giving than anybody that gave before her. Look what he says. It's, she has cast in more than all they which have cast into the treasury. Verse 44, for all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. He said, she gave a hundred percent of what she had, they threw me a bone. And you know what? Most humans would look and say, I'll take the bone. And God says, Jesus says, I'll take the heart. I'll take the sacrifice. I'll take the heart of generosity. So you say, well, I, what, what can I do? I can't make a big difference in missions. I can't make a big difference there. I, I don't have that kind. I can't, I can't pay for this or that. Or, who cares? How's the heart of service, the heart of generosity? How do we measure if we're generous? Jesus, one way he measured it was percentage versus sum. Here he's teaching the percentage was more important than the sum. Okay, so what percentage should it be? For me, and where my wife and I have been our entire marriage, uh, we, have, we have looked at the tithe as a starting point. A tithe is a Bible word for 10% of your gross increase. We see in Malachi chapter number 3, verse number 10, the Bible says, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven, and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Now I know, and I've talked with people, and I've, there are good people that would disagree with me on this. Um, and I've talked with folks that would say, well, the tithe was in the Old Testament. The tithe was under the law. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. We ought to give from a heart of love and grace, not duty to a certain percent. And by the way, I would say I agree with most of those statements. Here's a couple, and I don't have a time to go through a whole message on this, but here's a couple of thoughts for those that would say, well, we're no longer under the tithe. There's not much mention of the tithe in the New Testament. I'll say this. Number one, people that say it's the tithe is only under the law. Number one, in the Old Testament, we see the tithe before the law ever came into existence. Number two, we see Jesus actually commending the tithe in the New Testament, but he was then uh, condemning, he commended them for tithing, but condemned them for doing it for the wrong reasons and for being so, I've got to give here. And then he says, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. And those that would struggle with tithing, and again, this is a very personal thing between you and the Lord, and you can study it out, and I'm happy to meet with you and talk with you about my thoughts on it. But those that would not believe that today we still need to tithe would, would, would say, we believe in what we call grace giving. I'm going to give. I'm not under law. I'm under grace. And here's my only thought to that, that situation and that, that, that um, thought. Jesus taught very clearly that you will always do much more under grace than you would do under law. He said in the law, in the Old Testament, it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. 
In the New Testament, don't look on a woman to lust. I'm going to hold you to a much higher standard. In the law, don't kill your brother. In the New Testament, don't be angry with your brother. Under grace, because of a heart, and I believe, I don't believe you ought to give out of duty. I don't believe you ought to look, well, if I don't give my 10%, God's going to strike me dead with lightning. And I've heard pastors sometimes say some fear and manipulation and guilt tactics. The Lord loves a cheerful heart. The Bible does talk about, as every man purposes in his heart, so let him give. What I would say to you there is, how much grace have you received? And for me personally, for me personally, 10% is not the ending point, it's a starting point for us. And I'm not trying to, to brag or whatever, but, I, but for me, and the Lord does love a cheerful giver, but what we see in Mark is that he honors a high percentage giver. And we ought to, very, very often what I'll find with those that, that, that get upset about the tithe, they're not saying, well, I'm, I'm so angry about the tithe because I just want to give God 30 or 40% of my income. What they're saying is, I want to keep a whole lot more for myself. It's not really a spiritual motivation, it's a, in, in my experience, it's a selfish motivation. I want to find a way that biblically I don't have to give God as much so I can keep more and charge them, Timothy, that they be ready to distribute, willing to communicate. So I would agree that for me, 10% is not the ending point for my wife and I, but it's definitely the starting point. We had a new believer that got saved in last year, and he was talking with a, a coworker at work. And the coworker, he was, this new believer was talking about all the things he's learning, and the coworker said, we'll see how real it is in your life if you start tithing. And he kind of said, well, what's that mean? What's that about? And he told him, and the coworker said, well, tithing is where you give 10% of your income. We'll find out how much Jesus really means to you if you're ready to part with that amount of your income. And, and the coworker, the new believer, asked the coworker, he said, well, am I supposed to tithe off of the gross income or the net income? And the coworker, great, I wouldn't have even thought of this answer. The coworker had a great answer. He said, well, do you want gross blessings or net blessings? <laughs> and he made him think, and he said, well, you know, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Number three, and we're done, you've listened well. Are you generous? One, priority versus spontaneous. Two, percentage versus some. Three, progressive versus stagnant. Progressive versus stagnant. If you really want to prevent the side effects, the negative side effects of wealth in your life, don't overlook this one. To be progressive, I mean, what I mean by that is to raise the percentage over time. As what you have grows, your generosity by percentage grows by faith. What did, what did Paul say to say, by the way, all the verses I gave you other than Malachi are in the New Testament on this stuff. 2 Corinthians chapter number 9, verse number 5. 2 Corinthians 9, verse number 5. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren, to encourage the brethren, I think we have these slides back here too, that they would go before unto you. And make up beforehand your bounty, whereof ye had noticed before that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not as of covetousness. Notice what he says. But this I say, going back to gross blessings or net blessings, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly, not of necessity. Well, I have to give. Pastor said I got to give or else I'm going to die. No, 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 no. That's God doesn't want. The Lord loves a cheer giver. Last place we'll turn. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter number 8, please. 2 Corinthians 8. Let me wrap it up. 2 Corinthians chapter number 8, verse number 1. 2 Corinthians chapter number 8, verse number 1. Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, which, which uh, had been a church that struggled with carnality, 
Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. How do we know that, that God's grace was expressed to these churches? Notice what it says. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty, their deep what church? abounded unto the riches of their liberality, for to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. And this they did not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord. It wasn't about their money, it was about their lives. And unto us by the will of God, insomuch that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. He says, I want to tell you a testimony. This church that had nothing, they were poor, they were struggling, but they gave what they had and they gave what they didn't have. They were an amazing picture of God's grace because of how generous they were. Now read verse 7 aloud with me. Therefore, whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, you should always look to see what it's there for. It's always pointing back to what you just read. Because of the picture of, of, of unbelievable sacrificial giving I just showed you, verse 7, would you read it aloud with me? Ready? Begin. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. What grace? The grace of giving. Joe, if I told you, Joe, I really think you should, in 2022, you should really try to trust God more. You should have stronger faith. Would you think anything of me as a pastor? My pastor challenged me to have stronger faith, to grow in my faith. Would that be a bad thing? Not at all. Not a bad thing. Craig, I really think you ought to strive to be more kind this year. You ought to be a kinder. You ought to grow in the grace of kindness with those around you. Bad thing for a pastor to challenge you to do? No, of course not. Keith, this year I really think you should really dig into God's word and prayer, that personal walk with God. Really, this year, grow in your knowledge of God and in your relationship with God. Is that a bad thing for a pastor to challenge you to do? But the moment a pastor says, I really think you ought to consider giving more. Who does this guy think he is? <laughs> Paul said that you abound in this grace also. You grow you get better at. You become more generous. Well, I do, my, I do my duty. God doesn't want you doing your duty. I do my bare minimum. I, I calculate it, and I, I give that. I'm good with God. I, I gave exactly 10.01% right before taxes. I did the, all the perfect calculations. By the way, God got percentage over some, priority over spontaneous, and progressive versus stagnant, abounding growing. Nobody would think if I said, I've been saved for 20 years, and, I, and I, I have the exact same spiritual walk or knowledge of God's Word or prayer life or whatever as I did 20 years ago, you would all say, Pastor Ryan, you need to grow in those things. The spiritual journey is a journey of growth. Giving is one of those graces we're supposed to abound in. We're supposed to grow in. So progressive, meaning raising what we give over time as your income grows. It's interesting. We don't mind praising and giving testimonies of people who do more, who labor more, of people who sacrifice and go to the mission field, of people who pray. We thank people for their service in music or going on a missions trip, but we struggle to humbly and graciously share testimonies of generosity. I know of one pastor friend I've talked with personally. He gives about 75% of his income back to the Lord's work every year. May I say that's not my testimony? I would love to get to those places. 
But I, I will give you a brief personal illustration. I can say, and I don't say this, if, if I have my reward, I have it. I don't say this to boast. I say it to provoke one another to good works. My wife and I have sought in our 21-year marriage to progressively give each and every year in the percentage, which becomes also the sum in our lives. We have missions conferences, and there's probably been in our 21 years, three or four years, we did not increase our giving. But in the 21 years, we have sought. Why? Because where your treasure is, it's an indicator of the heart. Your heart will be also. We have sought when missions conference comes around to do more. My prayer is that someday my missions giving will be the number two or number three biggest budget line item in my, in my, my, my uh, uh, budget. It's not there yet. As you can imagine, we're at the most expensive time of our lives. We have five children that live at home. One is graduated in college, but she still lives at home right now, taking some online courses and helping out in the school here. We have three kids in sports, two high school boys eating us out of house and home. Literally every Sunday morning, they try, one of our boys tries on a new outfit or a, a new, like another, not new necessarily, old pair of pants and it doesn't fit. Trey had to change his shirt three times today to find one that finally fit him. They, they're growing fa- out of their clothes faster than we can buy them. Two of our kids now a driver's license. The other one thinks he wants to get one and is doing his online driver's training. I don't know if any of you have gotten recently car insurance for a teenager. I, I emailed my insurance agent to get a bid. He said, here's what it is. So I talked to my wife. I said, we have an option. We can insure our two teenage drivers or we can go on a really nice vacation to Europe. We chose Europe. We're, we're not in a cheap season of life, but we've sought, and we've not, our percentage hasn't increased a ton in the last couple of years, um, and our income also hasn't increased a ton over the last few years, which is the deacon, the church takes very good care of us. They've offered those things, and I've declined them so that we could see our staff get to higher uh, wages to, to live in Orange County. We're taken care of, but it's not like my, my income is way bigger than what it was. It's not increased a lot, but we've sought in our lives. And here's where I'm going with this testimony. We've sought to give progressively and what I would call sacrificially for us. And can I tell you this? Last year, not one of the seven in our family missed a meal that they didn't choose to miss. Not, we had a house to live in the entire year. We all had clothes to wear. Some of them were a little too short at times. And we, we definitely had way more shoes than we needed. That's what teenagers do, I guess. We have not missed a meal. We don't have a want. There's nothing that we're missing out on. We got to go on a family vacation last year. What am I saying? As the psalmist said, I've been young and I'm old and I've not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. May I just say, church, when you decide to trust God with what you have, it's amazing how he meets your needs. It's amazing how he provides. It's amazing how he blesses. And not always financially, but he blesses with memories and he blesses with relationships and he blesses with some sometimes health, and he blesses with somebody that comes along and encourages you, and he blesses when you give so teenagers can go to teen camp, and they come back, and somebody says, I got saved at teen camp, and you say, I had a part in that because I bought 10 dozen donuts that I didn't want, and somebody got saved, and he gives blessings after blessings after blessings. I'm not talking about a prosperity gospel, but I am talking about a provision gospel. God said, and by the way, Paul said, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. 
glory. We love that verse, but in context, do you know who that promise was for? It was for people that were generous with the workers of God and with the work of God and with seeing the gospel go around the world. And Paul said, you have met my needs as, as a worker of God, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. It's the greatest bank account ever is God's riches and glory, and he has all the blessings he needs to throw in our lives. Progressive versus stagnant. Every one of our needs was met. Notice, I, I can't explain it, but God blessed his generosity. And by the way, even in our tough times, my wife and I, we've lost homes, homes that we lived in. We, we had to sell a home, a short sell a home, and lost tons of money. We, we've had difficult financial times. We lived in a, in a, in a little apartment in a, in a dormitory with five children, I guess maybe four children at that time with four children. Uh, we, we've, we've gone through some financial struggles. It's not always been, well, I gave to the church, and I tried to give more to missions, and God gave me, gave me all this stuff. It's not always been that, but God has met every need. God has taken care of everything, and I can't explain it, but, but I can tell you, even in those tough times, we didn't regret a dollar that we gave to be a blessing to others or to the Lord's work, and you won't either. Proverbs 11, Solomon said it this way, there is that scattereth and yet increaseth. That doesn't make sense. He gives, and he has more. And there is that withholdeth more than he should, more than his meat, but it tendeth to poverty. The liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. He that withholdeth corn, the people shall curse him, but blessings shall be upon the head of him that selleth it. Those that live selflessly will find more, way, far more blessings in life than those that live selfishly. The skeptic might say, well, you're just trying to get more money for the church. Absolutely not. I'm trying to show each one of us the biblical principles of stewardship that will lead to more joy, more blessing, more eternal rewards, and more eternal treasures in our account. I mentioned a pastor I knew that lives off about, seven, about 25% of his income. I've heard of Christians who live 50-50. Maybe you've heard of R.G. Letourneau. We have a picture of him here. He was he was around a business leader in the, in the 20th century. R.G. Letourneau gave 90% of his income back to God and lived on 10%. Letourneau was one of the more unlikely leaders of 20th century industry. He had only a seventh grade education. He taught himself engineering and eventually built a manufacturing empire. His earth-moving machines helped win World War II and construct the highway infrastructure of modern America. By the end of his life, this man with a seventh grade education held more than 300 patents. His decision to give away 90% of his personal income and stock in his company was the result of a previous decision made when he was 30 years old and deeply in debt. He decided then to make God his business partner. His, his sister was a missionary, and she chastised R.G. She told R.G., he was, he was in business, and she told R.G., she said, you need to get serious about serving God. He was kind of confused. Like many, R.G. thought what that meant was, I have to be a pastor, a missionary, an evangelist. That's what it means to serve God. And so my sister tells me, I, I need to get my act straight. I'm kind of wasting my life. So he went to meet with his pastor. He went to seek guidance from his pastor. He had prayed, and they prayed together. He, he was headed to the mission field. After praying together, his pastor said, you know, Brother Letourneau, God needs businessmen as well as preachers and missionaries. Letourneau responded, all right, if that's what God wants me to be, I'll try to be his businessman. Letourneau took his business partnership with God seriously, although in his own words, he felt like God was getting a sorry specimen of a partner. 
When financial success came years later, he believed this made him a debtor to God as well as his fellow man. His commitment to give away so much of his wealth was not a flash of generosity as much as a logical profession from his earlier decision to make God his business partner. When we understand that our work matters to God and we recognize that, 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 he, that he is our business partner, Letourneau's perspective is a natural response. And the question is not how much of my money I give to God, but rather how much of God's money I keep for myself. You and I don't need to give 90%. That's not what I'm saying. But I would challenge you, just like I would challenge you to progress in your faith and in mercy and in love and in prayer and in being a witness, I would challenge you to progress in this area of generosity. I love the fact that our church is seeking to do more scriptures at the seed line and, and cover blanket Newport Beach with the gospel and take on more missionaries this year. Last year had the strongest year of giving in the history of our church and our school has grown and we're the bus ministry. It shows what we're seeking to be rich in good works, willing to communicate, ready to distribute. So are you generous? How do we do on the acid test? Priority versus spontaneous. Is giving a priority in our lives? Does God get the first fruits of our day, of our time, of our resources? Priority versus spontaneous, percentage versus some. Jesus said, that's the greatest gift I've ever seen, two pennies. Percentage versus some, and then lastly, progressive versus stagnant. Are you growing in, in that grace? I don't want anybody leaving here feeling guilty or giving out of necessity. I want us all leave, leaving challenged and excited to grow in our spiritual maturity in this area. We all know generous people, don't you? How many of you, when I say, who's a generous person in your life, think about who comes to mind. Sometimes they're people with a lot of stuff, and other times they're not, but it's just who they are. They're constantly giving, opening their home, writing a nice note, dropping off an unexpected bouquet of flowers, sending a text you didn't expect. It's just who they are. And don't you love generous people? Don't you love to be around them? Don't they challenge you? Don't they bring joy? Here's my challenge. Why don't you and I try to become that person in the lives of the people we know? I didn't say you have to give everyone you know a thousand or ten thousand or be a generous person with, with who you are. Living, loving, praying, texting, giving time, spending, whatever it might be. Let's try to become that person in the lives of the people that know us. Paul, I'm sorry, Timothy, Paul here. Hey, Timothy, charge those that are rich in this world. Be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God that giveth us all things richly to enjoy. And here's what he said. And, and make sure that you're challenging them to be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Are you generous? Am I? By the way, I, I told you the highlight of me trying to be more generous each year. So often I'm unbelievably selfish. And we keep way more for ourselves undoubtedly at times than we should. And I need to grow in this. I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching to us. Let's grow in the grace of giving. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.